The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's version of America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. And what we have been doing the last number of months is talking about the health care of this country, both domestic policy, foreign policy, the Biden administration. We have clearly become much more political than we are just talking about free market health insurance. As a country, we are so close to socialism. We're beyond liberal. We're beyond progressivism even, I believe. We are into socialism and a number of nominees that we have seen by this Biden administration are out and out Marxist, amazingly as it seems. So today I want to turn to one of the biggest issues that is under debate in this country, especially in our school systems, and the media is even picking up on it, and that is what you have all heard, critical race theory. Let's find out today what it really is and how it figures into the whole dynamics of our politics. Even though we don't have to talk about politics to get into critical race theory, we're talking about an educational process that's affecting our children and, in fact, is infecting our daily thinking. Now, I want to preface this, and then we're going to turn to some experts talking about it, but let me give you my understanding of critical race theory, because that's the term that we hear, CRT, as if it's a separate and unique uh, concept. Well, I'm here to tell you today, and I think you're going to find out it is not unique. It actually is a subset of the broader issue of critical theory. So forget about critical race theory at the moment. Let's talk about the umbrella concept of critical theory and what that's all about. And what we're going to find out is that critical theory concepts were first presented by Karl Marx and Engels in their papers um, supporting Marxism. Now, they didn't use those terms, as we're going to hear again. They used different terms. But the idea was, let's get one part of society rebelling against another part of society, because one side is an oppressor and the other side are the victims or the oppressed. And we can do that, as Marx was talking about originally, as an economic divide between uh, certain class of people. The bourgeoisie had the money and the proletariat was the, um, uh, were the people that um, were being oppressed. But you can see that in today's society as we move towards social justice and other terms where there always seems to be an oppressor and an oppressed, uh, people who are being taken advantage of. And this concept is very powerful because we, um, we tend to gain power if we identify ourselves these days as victims. And so victimology can be another term that's used for uh, critical theory. So I want to talk about critical race theory uh, ultimately, but critical theory you need to understand is more about power, who has power, and who would like to gain power? The people in power are oppressing people. Let's figure if we can create a wedge, a division in the country so that those who are being oppressed will rise up and change and alter and fundamentally alter the dynamics of economics, of civilization, 
Um, and that goes almost any aspect that we're talking about. You talk about any kind of whether it's LBGT, whether it's talking about economics, whether it's talking about race, all these issues are identified under the critical theory. And the critical race theory is the one that has sort of bubbled up into uh, the current media. So what I want to do is I want to bring in uh, somebody who has been speaking on this for a long time, Mr. Uh, Neil Charvel. And he's going to talk about and give you a little bit more background on his definition of critical race theory and his overview of critical uh, theory in and of itself as the umbrella operation and then dive down into uh, critical race theory and what's going on in our educational system today. So, uh, Professor um, uh, Charvel, um, give us your perspective on what critical race theory is all about as a silo under critical theory. In his book, Beyond Critique, Bradley Levinson says that Karl Marx alone invites consensus as the first true critical theorist. Well, not his ideas about, pol- about economics, per se, but his <laughs> ideas about how power circulates within society to produce and reproduce inequalities and exploitation. But Marx did not coin the term critical theory. That came from the Frankfurt School, a bunch of sociologists and philosophers writing in the 20s and 30s in Germany and later in the U.S. Uh, but that was like 80 or 90 years ago. Since then, critical theory has evolved tremendously to produce entire disciplines like post-colonialism, critical pedagogy, postmodernism, feminism, black feminism, queer theory, critical race theory. Now, Professor, I know you've tried to outline this for your audiences that you speak to by sort of creating a diagram that maybe our audience can visualize where you have various boxes in various topics that show how critical race theory is sort of the umbrella and then under each of those this victim, uh, victimology, this oppressor, oppressed um, is sort of characterized in each of the uh, topics that many of us hear about, whether it's feminism or other topics. So outline, if you will, a little bit of what these boxes are that you're talking about that make the overall vision and picture of what's going on in this country that many people really don't understand how all these things connect, but they really do. So Tell us about these boxes again. In one box, you see all of second wave feminism. In one box, you see all of post-colonialism. One box is all of black feminism. And there are about a dozen or so boxes downstream from Karl Marx. And all of this is critical theory. Okay, Professor. So I think our audience is getting the message that there are a lot of items that are under this critical theory concept there's all sorts of bucket on social issues that we may be hearing about in the news or reading about sometimes or wonder why in the world we're going in this direction or that direction or why the argument is here. None of it makes any sense. But I think what you're trying to do is for this audience is put together this framework. So let's talk about critical theory again. And is, is there a narrow definition and then a broader definition? Give us a little bit of an insight so that we have a better understanding of this concept of critical theory itself. You can define critical theory narrowly to refer only to the Frankfurt School and their disciples. But broadly speaking, critical theory encompasses all of these critical social theories, queer theory, critical pedagogy, critical race theory. They're all types of or manifestations of 
critical theory. So, Professor, what I'm hearing you say is that this concept of critical theory is being used by all sorts of groups, and some of which the words have now become commonplace with, uh, you know, white supremacy or white privilege and all that. Um, so is there uh, another way that we can look at this so that our audience out here, those of us who aren't steeped in the academics that you are, um, can better understand some of the terminology and how all this sort of fits together, even though the current outrage is over, again, critical race theory, um, but can we better understand, can you explain to us uh, some of the words and phrases, a better way to look at this whole concept? Is there a better and more fruitful way to approach the subject? I believe so. Look at these words, these phrases. Intersectionality, white privilege, white fragility, colorblind racism, lived experience, internalized oppression, heteronormativity. You've heard those terms before, I think, if you've been on social media or alive for the last five years or so. Well, where do these terms come from? At a minimum, they come from the scholars who either coined or popularized exactly these terms. Okay, Professor, let me jump in. So all these terminologies, all these phrases that are used and then get popularized, um, there seems to be a whole media language infrastructure out there that drives this stuff into the news uh, reports, into magazines, into TV. Um, where does all this come from? What kind of people are promoting these ideas? Um, are they just academics? And it sure seems like most of this is coming from what I would call, and I think people in our audience would call, the far left. Are these really people with an ideology of Marxism? So where does all this come from? Well, the question is, what discipline are these scholars working in? Well, lots of them. They are, they're in gender studies, critical race theory, sociology, queer theory. So what, are they, what, what ideology underlies these ideas? Well, there is no consensus term. Some people have tried to describe this. They say, well, it's cultural Marxism or identity politics or critical race theory. That's not quite right because it's much more than race. Or it's, it's neo-Marxism. It's, it's intersectionality. Well, but there's no one term. The funny phrase grievance studies to describe these, this ideology but there's no, again, there's no consensus. Well, Professor, you're a smart guy. Do you have a, a name to sort of bring this through? Can you coin a, a term that we can all sort of understand and maybe rally around, if you will, to um, accept and understand these ideas that are going on, that we can ultimately fight back against them by using the uh, known language? We've coined the phrase contemporary critical theory. Why? Well, undeniably, these scholars are writing in the critical tradition. It's unquestionable. And what's more, their ideas are having the most impact on contemporary culture. This is the manifestation of critical theory that's impacting our contemporary dialogue. Well, Professor, I know like any other ideology or new fundamental way of thinking, things that are being foisted on society through our so-called elite Many times there are individual basic principles that if we understood those, we'd understand the danger of some of these ideas even more. So can you tell us about, um, you know, three or four underlying principles that we ought to be fully aware of and how we might be able to view some of the new twists and turns in, in these uh, phrases and ideology and social 
remedies of people who are trying to transform the country. Can you give us some insight as to um, some of the critical building blocks? There's the social binary, oppression through ideology, lived experience, and social justice. Let's start with the social binary. According to critical theory or contemporary critical theory, society is divided into oppressed and oppressor groups along lines of race, class, gender, sexuality, physical ability, etc. For every social group, there is an opposite group. The primary groups that we name here are race, class, gender, sexuality, ability, status, exceptionality, religion, and nationality. Okay, Professor Cherval. You've done a great job of outlining critical race theory as being a part underneath the critical theory. And you've also given us a whole host of areas where there's oppressor and oppressed uh, categories and how people are trying to find those under this new critical theory concept and have been for many, many decades. And they're now becoming more successful in uh, infecting our social uh, behaviors and interactions and our social dialogue that is becoming more and more along the lines of this critical theory, especially through the critical race theory. So I want to come back and I want to delve into more detail because I think our audience is very interested in this and getting knowledgeable so that we can we can fight this kind of movement that's going on in the country. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and talk to Dr. Cheval. Thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. And today we are focusing on the current topic that most of you will hear about in the news. In fact, on Tuesday we had an election. This program is being recorded before the election results, but the whole election, whether it's won by the Republican or the Democrat, has been around critical race theory uh, being taught in schools and parents being outraged that it is dividing uh, their children. It's affecting their children. It's making kids come home and say, Mom, Dad, am I evil because I'm born white? Black kids coming home, Mom, Dad, do I not have the same opportunities as anybody else because I'm black and I'll never be able to get ahead? My dreams can never be fulfilled. Am I forever put into a category of being a victim and I can never really achieve the American dream as some have talked about and if some have shown can't happen, Do I? can I no longer dream? What happened with the idea that anybody could become president and Obama, a black man, became president? Is that no longer possible? So we have kids asking questions of parents that make no sense to the parents. So today we're trying to explain to the audience here 
the perspective of what critical theory is all about, let alone the subcategory of critical race theory. So I want to get into this idea of that there are people out there, especially in academia, who are coming up with these words and phrases and have contacts in the media to write articles and op-eds and books about how to divide this country. How do we separate people so that we have conflict, especially in writing books and writing papers? Conflict is a way to get people's attention. And it seems to have gone to an extreme these days where we're finding more and more ways to separate people that pit one group against another one. And we have so much infighting, I think people are really getting tired of it. So we are talking today with Professor uh, Cherval, and he is giving a good analysis of what critical race theory is, as well as the whole concept of these different categories of how people are being divided and it's being promoted in academia, it's being promoted in business, and it's worked its way into our general culture now. So, Professor, explain this theory that's based on dividing us as a culture and keeping us separated and fighting among us ourselves, which is destroying this country um, with domestic policy conflicts and certainly with foreign policy conflicts where we look very weak as a country and we know that weakness means that those uh, vacuums would be filled by somebody else, whether it's the Chinese or the Russians or somebody else. But give us the categories again of how some people divide us. I know you've got a chart that you've used that we can't show the audience in a radio or a podcast broadcast, but talk about the different columns that you would have that clearly, if we could see it, would show how somebody has come up with a whole diagram of how to separate us by looking at uh, victims, oppressors, and various categories like that. So give us that verbal description of what your chart might look like. The first column lists the minoritized or target or oppressed group, people of color, the poor, women, transgender people, uh, Muslims. The middle column lists various forms of oppression, racism, classism, sexism, heterosexism. And the final column lists the dominant agent or oppressor group, whites, the owning class, cis men, heterosexuals, Christians, etc. Well, Professor, you've used the term a couple of times, intersectionality, and some of us may hear that term and have no idea what that really means. It sounds like mumbo-jumbo some academic came up with. Um, I'm sure there's a good definition or explanation of what intersectionality means in this academic world that's infecting our culture. And uh, the media may use the term, and we have no idea what it is. We may read an article, and we have no idea what it is. So could you explain this crazy term called intersectionality? Intersectionality says that our identities can't be understood on a, by a, with an a single axis alone. So a, a person can be part of both an oppressor group and an oppressed group at the same time. For example, a white female will be part of an oppressor group with respect to her, her race, but an oppressed group with respect to her gender. So, Professor, give me an example. Give this audience an example of this intersectionality. I can be both an oppressor and oppressed at the same time. Uh, for people who are trying to put together coalitions and develop common cause, solidarity in the language of the left, typically, give me an example of uh, something that would um, not be as clear cut in terms of we all 
uh, feel and have the same cultural issues and of being oppressed or being the oppressors. We can't assume that white women and women of color will share the same agenda because women of color are oppressed in a way that white women are not. So gender alone is not a basis for solidarity, necessarily. All right, let me jump in quickly, um, Professor, because I'm trying to get all these terms straight. You've used several of them that I want to be sure that we clearly define. Uh, one is sort of oppression by ideology, and I think you call that hegemonic power. Explain to us what hegemonic power really is, because, again, that sounds like some academic fancy uh, term that um, uh, common people, certainly myself, do not understand even the root of that word in order to understand what it means. So tell us about that particular term, hegemonic power. Second, we have the idea of oppression through ideology, uh, what's called hegemonic power. What on earth is hegemonic power? Hegemony refers to the control of the ideology of society. The dominant group maintains power by imposing their ideology on everyone else. This is crucial. Traditionally, oppression is understood to refer to acts of cruelty, injustice, violence, and coercion. But contemporary critical theorists expand this definition to refer to other ways in which the dominant social group imposes its norms, its values, and ideas on society to justify its own interest, to support its own power. Okay, I'm beginning to understand this whole idea of institutional racism that they talk about so often, and the idea of white privilege, Eurocentric culture, um, you know, that is that is what we need to take down, tear down, and rebuild society around, because we're not talking about real oppression in the historic sense. We're talking about just because a system was created by a certain people who now we can say are oppressors, the system that they put together uh, oppresses whether they intended it or not, whether we are coerced into doing something or we have freedom within that system, we're going to say it's just racist, it's oppressive because of who established it, and now we can start to tear down entire parts, if not all of society. Is that what this is really all about? In its new usage, oppression designates the disadvantage and injustice some people suffer not because a tyrannical power coerces them, but because of the everyday practices of a well-intentioned liberal society. Oppression is embedded in unquestioned norms, habits, and symbols. Okay, Professor, now I'm starting to get it. I hope our audience, too, is, too, especially that last area. Let's break down the symbols that things that unite us that are part of our current culture, that were set up under a Eurocentric civilization that the United States is really founded on the you know, the Judeo-Christian values and principles this country is founded on, but the symbols, our flag, our national anthem, um, saying the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, being a, a church-going uh, believers of faith in one way or another, whether it's uh, Jewish temples or synagogues, but having some morals based upon some religious belief that there is something higher than us, all those things that unite us, we now find uh, this division culture that's going on, this division academics that's been created uh, just separates us. 
But, you know, there's always one thing, Professor, that uh, seems curious to me, and that is um, white men. As a white man myself, and I assume many in the audience are white men, um, isn't that a minority? And how do they get classified as the oppressors typically? Demographically, they're only about 15% of the U.S. population. They're, they're actually a minority, but they are not minoritized because they have hegemonic power. The idea is that they are a dominant group because they have the power to impose their old white male values on society, and we all accept these values as natural, objective, and common sense when really they serve old white male interests. So that's why they're an oppressor group, even though they're actually a numerical minority. Okay, I guess I can sort of understand that perspective in some ways, but it was the old white guys who set up this whole country after our uh, a revolution, not to take power in and of themselves, not to become kings and rulers, but to do the opposite, to give power to the people and set up a governmental structure that um, uh, was elected by the people and clearly stating that our rights come from God, not from a politician, not from a king. So clearly the structure they set up was uh, done by white males, old white males, but the system was set up to give opportunity to everybody, to give voice to everybody. And I guess that's sort of lost along the way in this oppressor, oppressed uh, culture that we currently live in. Well, let me turn to one other item that you've sort of mentioned, and that is this whole idea that um, I think uh, Marxists like to promote that there is no absolute truth, that everybody has their own truth. And that comes from a term, I guess, that I also hear out there called a lived experience. So if I lived an experience, um, I have special authority to speak to that lived experience. And it trumps anything that you might say or do because it is my truth. It is my experience. And that gives me, even if I'm, especially, I guess, if I am oppressed, if I talk about my lived experience as a minority or as an economic minority or as a female minority or an LBGT, if I can show that my experiences lived are or that damaging to me as an individual, then I ought to get some special privilege from that. So tell about, talk about lived experience. Contemporary critical theory argues that lived experience gives oppressed groups privileged or special access to truths about their oppression. Dominant oppressor groups actually blinded by their privilege. In contrast, subordinate oppressed groups give rise to more adequate conceptualizations. Okay, Professor, a lot of, uh, again, uh, more fancy terms from your academic elite group that basically says that if you're a minority or an oppressed group, you can just have your own truth about your experience that's more important than actual truths that may occur uh, because you are being dominated by somebody else. So, again, there's only white racism um, that it can possibly exist because whites can't understand the black culture, the black experience at all. So the blacks uh, can can't claim reparations. Uh, um, the illegals coming across the border can claim a $450,000 payment for separation of family because that's their experience and that's their truth. Uh, it's a crazy world, but I understand where the academics that you're talking about coming from, and it is affecting our current culture. 
Well, let's take another break and come back. I hope our audience is learning something of fancy words, maybe, but the concepts are simple and are important for all of us to understand what's going on in our current culture. It's important to understand what's happening in our workplace and importantly in our schools. Let's come back and talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to this segment of America's Web Radio, and we are talking about critical theory. Ultimately, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on critical race theory, but it's really important for this audience to understand critical race theory is just a subset of a broader issue uh, referred to as critical theory, where people are trying to divide this country in multiple ways, whether it's long race or class or religion or whatever it is. And we're also talking about the this idea is that privileged groups tend to really be blinded well, to by me, their privilege. That's, they have both conscious and subconscious reasons told to deny or ignore the reality of oppression. In, in contrast, oppressed people might be able to achieve colloquially, they can get woke. They can realize that dominant social norms are just attempts to justify oppression and can thereby achieve a more realistic view of reality that they are being oppressed and as a result we are dividing this country more we're creating more anger within people thinking that they are being um, in a system that is biased against them so because the system was put together by a bunch of old white guys back in the 1700s and continued that way that this is all a conspiracy against anybody who's not a white male in particular and so that is the woke society that they're trying to create, a, a society of division, a society of hatred. And that's why this stuff has to be recognized for what it is, that it is not just around race that they're trying to divide us. They're trying to divide us with this language, with this approach, with this ideology. And why? Well, because in the past we have on this program talked about Marxism and how it creates an oppressor, oppressed society, a victim society that will rise up against uh, the uh, people supposedly in power, overthrow them, and install a Marxist regime. A Marxist regime that starts as the first stage as a dictator because it takes a dictator in Marxism to get rid of everything else in the culture. People who have lived under capitalism need to be either killed or excluded or sent off to camps. Children need to be 
uh, put into training and taken away from the parents that these are people who are a part of the government. That's why this critical race theory is so important for us to understand that the schools are trying to take children away from parents. But again, it is much broader than that. It's a whole culture of this woke society. And we use that term, but I don't think everybody listening to this program fully appreciates what woke really is. It's not just some strange language or uh, people talking in weird ways or everything that turns out to be politically correct or incorrect is called a woke society. No, what they're talking about is trying to convince people who are trying to work within the system of opportunity and capitalism and private property and rights that they are victims and that they need to be awakened. They need to be woke to the biases and the racism that's going on in this society that they will never be able to get ahead. That's what this is all about. This woke society, this woke culture is just destroying us from within as it begins to inculcate itself into our general culture. So it needs to be recognized for what it is. It is not just a new way of talking. It's not just a new liberalism. It's not just changing that we have, you know, 156 different sexes instead of a male and a female. It's not the idea that I can assume anything I want. I want to feel like a woman today or I want to feel like a minority today that I can do that. This is about separating us and creating a victimhood society, a a grieved society that's always asking for them to be taken care of by government one way or another. So I want to go back to this whole idea and talk about this oppression uh, concept that is uh, within our culture. So let's go back to the professor and hear more about this wokeism, this woke society, and what's really going on that we should all be well aware of. Right, because we're all socialized into the dominant group's ideology. So these ideas we take for granted are actually, they seem to be common sense. But, so they can experience, even as oppressed people, they can experience internalized oppression, where they have actually internalized and embraced the ideology of the dominant group, failing to realize that it's just an exertion of power. So, Professor, what you're really saying is that people who didn't know that they're being oppressed uh, we're trying to live within a culture that was giving and finally, them freedoms and opportunities. Social justice. And Contemporary rights, critical theorists are fundamentally concerned um, with social justice, which it defines as culture, the elimination class, of all forms of social oppression, more whether it's an oppression based on a person's gender, part race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, or economic class. Capitalism These political times call for a new dialogue about and commitment and, uh, to the, the politics of, of liberation. Liberation requires a struggle against discrimination based on race, class, gender, sexual identity, ableism well, and age a, um, a white uh, eurocentric uh, form of government that is really uh, impressing uh, you even though you may not fully uh, uh, understand it so get woke and understand that that's all what this is about now i know there's another area of social justice as a comment that kind of feeds into all of this that people want uh, more social justice but those are terms that most people really don't understand or appreciate is within this whole realm of critical theory that there is an oppressed and an oppressor uh, involved in social justice. So many of the things that make no sense to us, releasing prisoners, uh, no cash bail, of uh, forgiving 
uh, people who commit crimes, of releasing people, not prosecuting them, all that is part of social justice as well. So, uh, Professor, give us, again, a little bit more detail and explanation of social justice as we move to this uh, final area, I think, of the theory of, of critical uh, theory. The central goal of critical, contemporary critical theory is to achieve equity, social justice, liberation of these groups from oppression. But it shows how this idea that social justice is the, is the ultimate goal can trump all other goals and, and moral concerns. Well, Professor, you certainly gave us a good overview of the different components of critical theory. Um, and I know we'll get into critical race theory in a few minutes, but why is it important that we understand this concept again, just so the audience uh, keeps things in perspective now that we've gone into some of the details of the specifics of critical theory? Why is it important that we all recognize critical theory as this broad umbrella that includes many aspects trying to divide us. Understanding critical theory is very useful for understanding a lot of what's going on in our culture today, in the media, in politics, everywhere. Okay, Professor, I can't help but jump in at this point. Are there good and bad aspects of critical theory? What What's the value here that maybe we can find some uh, silver lining in this dark cloud that's going on in this great debate that's beginning in this country. What What's the good and the bad, or what's the bad and the good? Any uh, order that you would like to take this? Um, but before I talk about the bad side, the negatives of critical theory, let's talk about its positives. So first, contemporary critical theorists are right to identify oppression as wickedness and evil. The Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, says oppression is evil, and that God calls his followers to resist oppression and to overturn and dismantle injustice. Now, major caveat, what critical theorists call oppression may not be oppression at all. But let's be clear, when the vulnerable are being abused and when the powerful are taking advantage of their vulnerability— Christians should absolutely work to stand up for the rights of the vulnerable. Second, critical theorists focus on groups, not on individuals. So because of that, they focus on ways in which systems and laws can promote sin. Now, they're right to do that. For example, chattel slavery in the U.S. or the Holocaust should not be analyzed only in terms of individual people doing evil things. In fact, in both cases, Society had created entire systems and laws which codified sin into practice. And the law shaped human moral intuitions as it always does. So, of course, people were individually responsible for their sin, and yet that sin was enshrined and codified, and it was amplified by these systems, which encouraged human wickedness. And finally, hegemonic power does really exist. It's not imaginary. And it can have an insidious effect on how we uh, think about our norms and values. Here's an example that will resonate with conservatives. Think about how hard it is as a Christian parent to teach your children that beauty is not merely external. Why is that so hard? Well, it's hard because they're bombarded with images from Hollywood, Madison Avenue, from TV, music, magazines that teach them something totally wrong about beauty and sexuality. That is hegemonic power in practice, right? So we recognize it's a real thing. 
Well, Professor, you make some good points there and make some good uh, analogies and examples. Um, but it's not really the positive so much as it is an awareness, I guess, that you're saying that um, critical theory uh, actually makes us think about the issues and be sure that uh, we're not oppressing people when there's no real intent to. Um, so it's more an awareness of some of the systems as opposed to saying, um, you know, that there, the system is, in fact, evil, that it's more on the margins that we need to constantly look for improvement. No system is perfect. No system of government is perfect. So we need to just find ways to constantly make improvements. And if that's the biggest positive, that doesn't sound all that difficult to me. That's just a natural evolution. Women to have a culture and a society that actually works. So um, tell me about some of the negatives at this point that you're aware of on critical theory. Okay, so having described some of the positives of critical theory, let's talk about its, its, its conflicts with Christianity, and they are manifold. So first, the most fundamental problem with critical theory is that it functions as a worldview. A worldview answers basic questions about life and reality, questions like, who are we? What's our problem as human beings? What's our solution to that problem? What's our primary moral duty? Critical theory answers these questions with a, with a meta-narrative, a story arc from creation through fall, through redemption, to restoration. Who are we? Well, we're the creatures of a good and holy and just and loving God. What's our problem? Well, we've rebelled against that God. What's the solution? Well, God needs to rescue us from outside. He needs to redeem us from our sin. We, we're helpless in ourselves, and we'll one day be restored to God and to each other. That is the meta-narrative, the story arc of Christianity. Well, critical theory tells a very different story. There is no creation element within contemporary critical theory. That's very important. We do not, our identity is not primarily as God's creatures vertically, but as members of various social groups competing for dominance, right? What's our main problem in life? Not sin, but oppression. Certain groups have used their power to subjugate and exploit other groups. The solution? Activism, to either throw off the chains of the oppressor or to ally yourself by divesting of your own power and privilege to promote and lead to the, the goal, which is equity or liberation or social justice. Finally, Professor, you hit on the difference in this worldview of a Christian worldview, a Eurocentric worldview versus this woke worldview. I want to come back and really focus on that in our final session. So let's take a quick break, and I hope our audience stays with us. And we're really going to get into the conflicts and the problems of critical theory and critical race theory. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmv. HOF.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of America's Web Radio on critical race theory. We're talking about critical theory as the umbrella uh, concept, and I hope all the audience has been with us this whole time because there are so many aspects to critical theory that are dividing us. It is a divisive uh, message of pitting one group against another one, oppressor and oppressed. Uh, victimization of the world, uh, becoming woke to the idea that no matter what you do, you're not going to get ahead because you're oppressed, even if you didn't realize it before. So this messaging about how we ought to be uh, feeling aggrieved by the society we live in because it was developed by somebody else. It's not our own truth. It's not our own system. And we come to the point in this presentation now where we're talking about what some would refer to as your worldview. How do you view the world in terms of what the critical issues are of how we self-govern, how we live together? Is it a Christian worldview of salvation and forgiveness? Or is it a worldview that there is no God? And that's what atheism and Marxism is all about, that we are just a bunch of people struggling within the realm of who is going to be the dominant force, who's going to be the oppressor, who's going to be uh, at the top of this pyramid that uh, takes uh, advantage advantage of everyone else, that there is no love for your fellow man, there is no treat others as you would want to be treated. That is not the way that the worldview of uh, critical theory is. It's simply one group against another one, one set of complaints against another group that's oppressing them. So let's talk more about this difference in worldview with Christianity and what we have historically believed in this country that was founded on searching for freedom of faith. It's one of the critical issues of our governmental structure that we have freedom of religion, so let's find out more from the professor what he says about this different worldview that is occurring. And is there a clash? Is there some um, way to pick and choose from one or the other? How do these two worldviews connect or disconnect from a biblical or Christian uh, view of critical theory? So these two ideologies offer extremely different answers to our basic questions, and that's a problem we're going to be forced to constantly choose between critical theory and Christianity in terms of our values, our ethics, our priorities. We can't combine the two. It's not going to work. Okay, Professor. So these are two very different worldviews. Can you give me a clear-cut example of the conflicts that recur between a Christian or biblical worldview and critical theory worldview? A good example of how we have to choose which will be our reigning dominant paradigm for understanding the world is shown by this, that we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible because it contains both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. 
well, wait a minute. How do we tell the difference? How do we know what in the Bible is sin and what is the truth? They reply, biblical scholarship and critical theory help us to discern which messages are God's. They're saying critical theory is the lens through which we evaluate everything, including the Bible itself. Professor, to me, the best example of that is President Obama, who believed in black liberation theology, that there's no such thing as individual salvation, but rather group salvation, where the white population has to give back everything that they took to the black population, that is, the white oppressors over the black victims. And the history of that, and the only way the whites can be saved, unlike what Jesus Christ said, or what the Christian religion firmly believes, is that we have individual salvation for ourselves, and with the grace of God we are saved. No, under the lens of critical theory, black liberation theology, that so-called religious Christian belief that the press would say was a Christian belief is clearly not a Christian belief. It doesn't follow the premise of individual salvation and the grace of God. It's all about reparations. It's all about giving back. It's all about the oppressor and oppressed theology. So that's where black liberation theology and our President Obama, um, where his real church and his beliefs were, it wasn't Christian at all. And so your point is well taken about there is a conflict that can't be Christianity uh, if you believe in the critical theory, which is what black liberation theology was all about. So give me another major reason, a negative on critical theory as a worldview. Normally, when people make a claim about the truth, make a truth claim, we ask, what is your evidence for that claim? We ask, what is, what is your reason for believing that? What's your argument? What's the logic behind it? Well, critical theory, uh, it bypasses the question of whether the claim is true and shifts the focus of the discussion to the claimant's group identity. If the person making the claim belongs to an oppressor group, the answer is easy. You say, oh, of course you'd say that. You're just trying to maintain your power or privilege. But what if the person making the truth claim belongs to an oppressed group? Well, in that case, you can accuse them of suffering from internalized oppression. Professor, can you um, provide a specific example for our audience to sort of highlight exactly what you're talking about here? For example, if I say, I think abortion is immoral, they say, oh, you're a man, you're just trying to control women's bodies. If my wife makes the same claim, they accuse her of having internalized oppression. Do you think that homosexuality is a sin because you're homophobic? You're trying to maintain your heterosexual privilege. Do you think that uh, men should be elders only? That's because you're trying to preserve your male privilege. And it goes on and on. I guess what you're saying is, and it's very true of what I understand about Marxism, you really can't argue logic with people who embrace uh, critical theory they're not interested in facts and truth in uh, any of that. They just want to find ways to divide us and find um, subversive ways that our current system or any system ultimately in place is uh, creating an oppressor, oppressed environment. Is that right? Now, the primary concern for people who've embraced contemporary critical theory is not appealing to reason or to argument or evidence or even to scripture. Their primary concern is unearthing and deconstructing the hidden motives behind those truth claims and then ignoring them. 
So how else is critical theory uh, antithetical to Christianity and Christian beliefs? Critical theory assumes an adversarial relationship between different identity groups that is profoundly antithetical to Christianity. Critical theory depends crucially on differentiating between victims and victimizers, right? Men versus women, people of color versus whites, etc. If there were some fundamental identity marker that unified people across lines of race, class, and gender, that would deeply undermine the entire project of critical, contemporary critical theory, right? Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, Christianity gives us not one but three such ideas. All human beings share solidarity in first creation, second sin, and third redemption. All of us, number one, are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity and possessing a value. Right? That unites people across all these lines. We're all, number two, fallen in sin. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore share a solidarity, what Wolf calls a solidarity in sin. And third, we all need the same Savior. We all need redemption found only in Christ. So those three doctrines of human solidarity deeply undermine racism and sexism and classism and critical theory, and for exactly the same reasons. That, Professor, is the most important and powerful concept you've put forward the entire day as far as I'm concerned. And it also is a reflection of why Marxism um, is based on atheism and wants to destroy Christianity or any faith because they know that faith should bring people together, not just pacify them that this world may have problems and I'm going to get better in, in uh, later life when I die with some salvation, but in fact that that is something that unites us all, that we all are created in the image of God, that we are all equal in those three areas that you went through. So Christianity has to be destroyed. It has to be minimized. It has to be mocked. It has to be turned on its head and dismissed as part of our culture. The separation of church and state effort is all around getting rid of the Christian beliefs that would unite us so that we can have this division, this conflict, this chaos, that is what's going on. Well, is there another area um, that we should be worried about in the negative of critical theory? The Bible is it's a story about how God justifies his own complete sovereignty and power and goodness. It tells one true story of religion, one true story of morality, one true story of sexuality, one true story of gender, and so forth. The critical theorists, that is wildly oppressive. So do you see why we can't possibly marry this singular narrative given to us by the Bible with the approach of contemporary critical theory? It's not going to work. So I think I hear what you're saying is that for the Christian religion, Jesus said he was the light, the truth, and the way. So the truth was all about what Jesus came to save us as sinners, to have us repent and get that redemption to provide grace for us all as sinners. And that means for the people who would take the critical race theory as their worldview, that dominance of Jesus Christ means he would be an oppressor under a critical race theory. So you can't combine the two ideas into one 
And yet we know that we have a lot of churches out there that talk about social justice and critical race theory and trying to be accepting of everybody's ideas and trying to find value every place. But these things really don't go together, as you have explained. So I hope I've shown you that uh, you can't fuse these two different worldviews. It's never going to work. And it's, it, to the extent that you embrace contemporary critical theory, you'll have to abandon the basic principles of Christianity and vice versa. Professor, we don't have a lot of time left, but let's talk about critical race theory within many churches. Critical theory within the church. My point is to show you that critical theory is not just a problem out there in the culture or even out there in the progressive Christian church, but actually in here within conservative evangelicalism. We're just now beginning to see the cascading implications that the acceptance of contemporary critical theory will have on the life and health of the church. You, you cannot remain silent and hope it all just blows over. If you are an elder or a leader or a pastor, you are called to shepherd the flock. And that means you need to explicitly repudiate these ideas. And if you don't, you are neglecting, you are ignoring, you are rebelling against God's role for you. And in fact, I would argue this. As Christians, all of us are called to exercise discernment and care and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are terrible, dangerous ideas. We can't just be afraid of being called a bigot or racist or a sexist by pointing out that this is really, really bad for your theology. Well, Professor, this has been great stuff, but we are at the end of our hour here. I hope our audience has learned a lot about critical theory, critical race theory, critical theology, all those things that are affecting our faith and our culture. And I hope our audience, in learning something, will want to come back next week to learn even more about the critical topics of our time, whether it's critical race theory or the issues that are happening in Washington, D.C. and are affecting our lives with the Biden administration and the um, dangerous aspects of socialism and, in fact, Marxism that's affecting our lives. And these people are putting in power and we've got to fight back with knowledge and understanding. So join us again next week. Thank you for listening, audience. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.